You're listening to Of Slights and Men with Benji and Jacob. A Daily Magician Production. Hello and welcome to Of Slights and Men. Uh, I've added this bit in after recording because uh, as British people, we're not very good at self-promotion. So for all of the people that are interested to get more daily content just like this, please go to www.thedailymagician.com and sign up there. We have so much great content. We're revealing the best secrets in magic. We're constantly having guests like this on our podcast uh, and we're a growing community of massive uh, fans of magic. So Again, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. And uh, we'll jump into the recording with uh, Dr. Rubenstein right now. We're very excited to be here today with Dr. Michael Rubenstein. Uh, I think Benji's going to give him a, a little intro so you can get to know uh, where he's coming from. Yeah, I mean, if you don't already, um, for those of you, any of you who don't know his name, uh, shame on you. <laughs> Michael Rubenstein is an absolute legend in the magic scene, one of the first guys to produce a uh, really large-scale coin magic teacher material, which had a huge influence on a lot of magicians that are within the magic community, household names today. Uh, he's won multiple closer competitions. David Williams says he's uh, one of the best coin handlers he's ever seen. Ken Krenzel, highly, in highly innovative coin worker. And this is my favorite one. <laughs> uh, Di Vernon says he's a, or said he's a superb artist, which mm -hmm. that just, that must feel amazing having, a, having Di Vernon say that about you. I don't know how I would... Uh, that would be the end of my career there. I'd be like, all right, that's it. I'm good now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Michael, um, obviously it's a, it's a bit cliche, uh, but we, we wanted to ask you the question, of course, which is how did, uh, how did you get into magic? How did it all begin? Was it, you know, an uncle, uh, a grandfather? Was it just a book that you read? Uh, how, how did it all start for you? Well, hi, and thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, uh, years ago when I was about nine years old, my aunt went to a, a, a department store in New York City called Macy's Department Store, and there was a magic counter, and she bought me a couple of magic tricks. She bought me some linking rings, an egg bag, and a Svengali deck, and I was enamored by those tricks. And I remember going mm -hmm. up in front of my fourth grade class, taking this Svengali deck and saying, hey, look, I have this deck of cards. They're all uh, different, and they were all aces of spades. And I said, oops, wait, I got to turn the deck around. Uh, here, let me tell you, they're all different and they were all made, so I couldn't figure out how to turn it into a regular cards. And that was my magic career right there. And I realized something very important. You probably should read the instructions first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, that's when you decided to do coin magic instead, was it? No, that, that was kind of my magic career. So I was about 15 years old and I went on a trip uh, with about 40 other kids my age uh, exploring the United States. And one of the the people on that trip was a magician and he showed me a magic trick, which I thought was great, a coin trick. And he taught it to me, but I learned it incorrectly. And in doing so, I, I came up with a different type of concealment and he was very impressed. And he said that I, I should probably, you know, get the book, the Bobo book when I get home. So when I got home, I, I got my parents to fork over the $15 for me. And I went down to a magic store in New York City that was owned by Al Flosso, who was a very well-known magician at the time. And I actually had seen him uh, on the TV show Wonderama doing the Miser's Dream. So when I saw him at the store, I was certainly very impressed. And he was uh, overjoyed that I wanted to buy the Bobo Book of Coin Magic. So he spent the afternoon showing me tricks from the book. And that's kind of how I started my career in coin magic. Wow, that's very cool. It's uh, it's interesting, before we um, move on, I, I wanted to go back to something you said about the um, 
the move you sort of came up with by by accident, I think, if I heard right, which is is interesting because you you hear about that a lot in um, I think all industries really. A lot of the best discoveries aren't intentional because you don't know what you're looking for until you stumble on it. Sometimes, oh, um, true. is that like? And is that an approach that you sort of almost try to simulate that scenario and just sort of let your hands do whatever they want and just sort of let yourself stumble into moves like that? Or do you take more like a methodical approach? Is it like a, a one-off thing or have you managed to find out more stuff by accident? Well, I, I like to fidget with coins. So I always have coins in my hand when I'm walking my dog or I'm just out, you know, and about. Hmm. Um, I always practice my palms by keeping coins in different positions when I, when I walk around. Um, so it keeps my hands strong. But one of the things I do by fidgeting or playing with the coins is sometimes you realize, hey, this is something that that can turn into something. You, you don't realize yeah. it. For example, I was doing a, um, a move just to keep my hands busy where I was sliding one coin over and behind the other one, just back and forth, back and forth. And one day it just hit me, my God, this is a really good coin move. And I had been doing it for years and never thought about it. And then I just started <laughs> to think of applications using that silly fidget. And it became known as the slide move, which is in my book. Mm. Well, actually, that's a great segue because um, I was meaning to ask you, you put a book out, um, I think it was recently this year, right? Uh, Rubenstein, yeah. Coin Magic. And uh, could you talk to us briefly about that? Because I know that was that must have been a huge project for you. It, uh, it looks like a really uh, landmark sure. book, Coin Magic. So I had put out a lot of material over the years. And uh, I had wanted to put the material into a book because I think books are the, really the best way of learning. And I, this is coming from someone who's done a lot of DVDs and downloads. I, I think reading a book gives you the opportunity to, to really delve into the material, look at it more in depth, and read crediting, read proper you know, finger handlings. When you do DVDs or downloads, uh, you know, you, it's usually done in one take. You tend to gloss over credits. You tend to just say, watch this and watch how I do this. But you don't really talk about the nuances of where your fingers go and what it means when you do it, because uh, you're really just trying to it's, it's like, uh, here's the trick and here's the explanation. Let's go on to the next one. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, you, you try, but, you know, you're, you're thinking ahead. You want to make sure it looks good. And so you don't always get into the details that you want to. But with a book, you do. And I think you could learn much better from a book. So I wanted to put a lot of my material into book form, but I never could find anybody who just wanted to take the time and write it for me. Then about two years ago, I, I got very, very sick and had to retire from my practice as a veterinarian, had to undergo a stem cell transplant. And uh, I was socially isolated because of my poor immune system before it became a thing, uh, wearing a mask. And uh, I was stuck in my apartment for several months and uh, just decided, you know, I have the time. I'm going to do it myself. So I started to write it, which uh, turns out to be a blessing in disguise because as I wrote a lot of my material, and it's one of the things that I do a lot. I, I tend to look at my old material and, and see how I can improve it. And I think that everybody, when you do a trick and you do it for a while, you become enamored with the way you do the trick and you don't think about trying to change or improve it. But as time goes on, you improve as a magician. Your abilities improve. You learn new things. And sometimes if you revisit your old magic, you can see that there are ways to make that trick better. And as I went over a lot of my older material, um, I, I realized that there were things I, I felt I could improve because I think that... Uh, the more that you can reduce abnormal finger movement, the more magical a trick looks. And when I watched myself uh, doing certain tricks uh, and from a different perspective from, you know, years down the line, I decided that there were things that I could make better. And so I was able to do that with the material in my book. And plus, I had a lot of unpublished material that I just didn't know what I was going to do with since I really wasn't making DVDs anymore. And uh, 
uh, I was able to put a lot of that material into the book as well. So it was a blessing in disguise, uh, magic-wise, because although I wasn't able to work as a veterinarian anymore, uh, and I was very sick for a while, I was able to take the time to heal and recover and, and write the book and, and get it done the way I wanted it. That's really cool. I, I wanted to jump back as well, because uh, you said it was Macy's, right? Um, sorry yeah. <laughs> to jump back, but uh, I'm actually in, in the New Jersey area. I was just at Macy's, I, and I didn't... Yeah. Do they still have that magic section? Do you know? Are you? Are you um, I don't know where they, you are they, at right now. <laughs> they don't. It was Macy's in New York City. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, they closed that... There was one guy, and I can't remember his name, but he was well known in, in the area, and he had his little magic, you know, table, and he sold a bunch of tricks. He was a great dealer, and he did very, very well. It's actually funny because there was another magician who had a, a magic table in another very well known uh, store in New York City. Uh, it was F. A. O. Schwartz, and the dealer at the time was David Roth. He had his own little stand, and wow. he was tricks. And for many years, he had his own little magic table. That's so cool. Yeah, I was just really interested because I was, yeah, we were literally, uh, we, we go into New York a lot, um, me and my wife. And so I was just, it's pretty cool to hear that that's kind of like where your inspiration came from. Um, yeah. And I'm going back into the book. So have you written before? Like, how did that come about? Was it a difficult process? Obviously, I'm sure, you know, being in, in a veterinarian, you had to do a lot of study. So you're used to that. Well, at least <laughs> you were used at some point to studying a lot. How, how was that creative process? How was it, you know, trying to transfer something that comes so naturally to you? Like you were saying, you know, you always have a coin in your hands, you know, even when you're sure. walking the dog. Was that a difficult process for you to try and figure out how to get that down? You know, like, no, what was that like? Um, years ago, back in the in the early 80s, like 81, 82, I actually wrote a magic book and had it published by Jerry Menser of Magic Methods. Um, it was called Intermediate and Advanced Coin Technique. And there were a lot of problems with the book. First of all, um, being a very novice in the field, I probably shouldn't have written a book at the time, but I did. And uh, when he took the book from me, he said he was, you know, he was going to publish it, uh, but he didn't take the time to, to proofread. So there were a lot of typos in the book, which disturbed me greatly because yeah. you know, when people read a book, they want to know which is the left hand which is the right hand. <laughs> there were a lot of mistakes. And yeah. I made him actually put out a, uh, a correction sheet, which kind of cheapened the book a little bit. Um, but I learned a lot from, from writing the book. Um, back then, you know, you wrote it on a typewriter. You didn't, we didn't have computers. Uh, and, uh, and I guess it was typeset. And uh, it, you know, the book just didn't look that professional. But it was a first attempt. And over the over the course of years, you know, I've, I've written up things for magazines. And so you kind of learn that way and reading other people's magic books like, you know, Richard Kaufman is a great uh, author and is really able to describe a coin move. So you watch to see how he did it. So you learn from that. But I think the biggest help was talking to Stephen Minch. Um, and mm -hmm. he actually gave me a, a little um, I hate to say book, a book, uh, book, booklet, but it was more like a. Um, just uh, an article he had written about how to write magic books. And it gave me a lot of things to think about. Um, so now when, when you write a book, it's the, the nice thing is that the computers have a lot of proofreading tools that help you. And, you know, the fact when you write a book, you can go over it over and over again to make sure that you're not writing right when you should write left and uh, you're writing third finger instead of, you know, second finger. And, you know, Stephen Minch made a lot of great suggestions on, on how to write certain magic terms. And there's really no rule on, on how you 
the style of writing. So I kind of selected uh, the fonts that I wanted to use. And um, I think what brought it all together was finding a good person to do the layout, uh, which is someone who had a knowledge of uh, a graphics artist who had a knowledge of how to put the book together. And uh, so she, she and I kind of worked together on a lot of ideas. And that was also very helpful. The hardest thing for me was to do the photographs because I, I had no idea how to get the photographs into a, a book form. Right. And uh, I, I figured out this really obscure method of taking the pictures with my cell phone, transferring <laughs> them to Dropbox so it was able to go into my computer. So I edited them on my phone, put them in the Dropbox, took them out of the Dropbox, put them on my computer, and then further edited them. And then I sent them to the to the person who did the layout, and I had already had uh, numbers on them, and, and she said, these numbers are terrible. You know, you really can't use these. So she had to edit the pictures further to get rid of my numbers because they were embedded in the pictures. And then it turns out that just because you have a way of removing the color on the phone doesn't mean it's not a color photograph. And apparently there's a different system with black and white photographs. So she had to change everything from color to black and white, and that changed the way the the contrast was, so we had to redo all of that. So it was a real learning process, but I'm really pleased with the way everything came out because the pictures came out really detailed and very, very clear, more than any other magic book that I've seen photographs, and I was very pleased about that. I'm imagining it must have been hard. It was a long to, process, uh, but well take, worth it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to, when you're taking the pictures, especially with the corn moves, right, where it's so uh, hands-on, um, no pun intended. Uh, Although I know you're a guy who, who likes puns, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> we we um, we, we uh, that was a good pun. Um, we actually started. I bought some sort of of in-house studio, and I realized I couldn't get my hands in it. It was made for like shooting things for eBay. So we just took a backdrop and put it over my my backsplash in my kitchen. I ended up having my wife stand on a step stool behind me, and she learned how to take your picture. I had to then, you know, um, crop and edit, you know, but it, it worked out. And all the ones with one hand, I was able to do myself, so I knew what I wanted. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't tell you that uh, how many times I had to take a picture over to make it look right. Uh, and there are 930 pictures in the book, so it took some time. <laughs> oh my word! Worth it. Yeah, that was that was harder than doing the writing. Oh my gosh! Me, yeah, well, me, mm -hmm. me, and Benji actually just recently. We put our, our own course on magic. We were doing a memorized deck work, and it, it's um, it's kind of crazy how much you don't know goes into it until you start doing it. Because <laughs> yeah, we we we, I mean, I, we edited it ourselves. So I, I basically sat down for hours and had to learn how to edit. It's just one of those things where it's like you're like, well, I know how you know. I love magic, like it's a passion. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, let's get into it. We have all these great ideas. You know, you're sitting down, you're throwing them out. You're and then it comes to the bit after the week of, I don't know, where you've got all the routines together and you're like, oh, wow, like this is a lot of work. <laughs> and I can imagine it's, it's kind of the same sort of thing for you when it, uh, you know, you realize I need to take 900 pictures uh, and I'm sure there's more than 900, you know, that you took. One of the biggest challenges was there's a chapter in the book where I have about 20 routines from, from other magicians in magic. Um, and the challenge was to write it to their satisfaction and to take the pictures to make sure that their routine came out clear. So some of them actually started with a write-up. Some of them just sent me a video and I had a, you know, I had the challenge of putting it into my, my style of writing and then sending it to them and asking them if they liked it. And then 
Uh, some of them sent me pictures. Some of the people from overseas sent me pictures that just weren't clear, so I had to do them over. And yeah. of course, to do the pictures and to write it up, I also had to learn their tricks to make sure I was giving it justice. <laughs> and and that was challenging because some of the tricks are, are very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would imagine so. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think for anyone listening at this point, it's, it's pretty clear. It's a pretty mammoth book. And I, I've heard some people refer to it as, um, and I'm, I don't know, I'm sure this is the kind of thing that other people say and you say, oh, well, maybe not, whatever. But inside, you're kind of like secretly pleased. <laughs> a lot of people have been saying this is uh, the new Bobo or, you know, this is the re- not a replacement per se, but like more of a, uh, you know, this is 2020's version of um, Bobo. Do you, do you have any, uh, do, do you agree with that or are you kind of too humble well, to, to yeah, say something? My, my goal was really to try and, and not just make a, a very personal book for me, but to try and... Uh, I always felt my style was more universal. I think that there are a lot of great coin magicians, but they have very unique styles. And sometimes uh, uh, when people imitate those styles, they don't do it justice. For example, uh, Giacomo Bertini uses a, a pinky technique that's wonderful. Uh, and in his hands, he has a certain style and mannerism that's great. But some other people may have more difficulty doing that. Kainoa Harbottle does a lot of the, the edge grip stuff that... Uh, uh, kind of push the coins more into a downs palm like position and some people you know it's a very it's a great technique but some people have some difficulty um lorenz godon uses rear thumb palm uh some people may have difficulty with that style uh but i think they're all great styles and and i think that uh um my goal is to try and and show as many different styles as possible in my book so i invited a lot of people to send me you know tricks so i have a trick from Lorenzo Godon, a trick from Giacomo Bertini to showcase their styles. And um, uh, I tried to to make my book uh, as, uh, uh, you know, years ago, I, I wrote, I did something called the Encyclopedia of Coin Slights. Um, it was done as a part of a seven video series filmed in West Germany called Master Coin Technique. And mm-hmm. it became very popular. It just showcased moves. And I wanted to do that with my book. I wanted to showcase different ways to do moves more modern ways. My, my, my feeling was I wanted to update a lot of the older techniques uh, so people can see that, you know, magic uh, can be done at the fingertips yet still be very practical. So the first part of my book is really just techniques. And then I broke my book into sections where I could show people different plots in coin magic, which um, like the Bobo book, you know, it wasn't like just, you know, one, one thing it, it was, I tried to branch out and show different ways to do things, different coins across, different coins through the table, uh, tr- uh, tricks um, with unique plots. Um, I-, I tried not to get into that much gimmick coins because when I was younger, I didn't have the gimmick coins and I, I learned everything mm-hmm. by sleight of hand. But I felt that, you know, coin magic is about sleight of hand. And I felt that that should really be showcased in my book. So I, I took pains to try and, uh, you know, limit the amount of gimmick coin material that would appear in the book. And so I, I and, and actually as an homage to Bobo and not many people may realize that if you take off the book jacket, the book itself is the same blue color with gold stamping that the bo- the original Bobo oh, book wow. was. That's so really direct, yeah. Kind of like it was an homage to Bobo. So I was very pleased that other people picked up on it and it was certainly nice that people called it the, the Bobo book for the 21st century. You know, that was very nice to hear. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, and I'm, I'm interested actually because it sounds like you've come up with a lot of original work or at least adaptations. Um, how how do you go about your 
creative process because something that we, we like to talk about a lot on here is kind of you know there's so much more magic to be discovered and and found and 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 i'm interested for you how where does it come from is it more of you know recreating something that you've seen before where where's where your creative process at and how do sure. you get into that space where you can create new magic so that, that's a really great question i think the first thing is to find a technique that you're comfortable with uh because your technique really defines uh your style and how you're going to do the tricks um you know a lot of people for i'll give you an example uh david roth you know put out his shuttle pass back in in richard calkins coin magic from 1982 or 83 mm-hmm. and uh, that became a standard move for most magicians so I took that move and put it to my fingertips because I felt that it looked more magical uh, at the fingertips. Uh, and so I changed a lot of moves to, to, to make what I thought would be a more magical presentation. And so that kind of defined my style. Then let's say uh, you, you, you learn a trick. For ex- I'll give you a perfect example. When I was uh, 17, I was taught a coins through the table by a very well-known magician in Syracuse, New York named Tony Econ, who was a very well-known card magician. He actually moved down south later on and was uh, well known uh, in the southern part of the United States. Unfortunately, he's passed away, but uh, uh, he taught me a really great coin through the table effect. However, it was a very basic effect. So I did that effect for many years. And then, as I had said, you know, as time goes on, you, you kind of look at tricks that you do and you see how you can improve them. And at one point, I just realized that I had fallen in love with this trick and I never bothered to think about it because everybody loved it. Everybody was fooled. And so it worked for me. But then I kind of looked at it and said, you know, this trick really cries out for improvement. And so I started to put my own techniques in and said, how can I make this this coin more magical? How can I make this coin more magical? And, you know, you kind of play around with different ideas until you come up with, you know, a solid version. Um, and so I think that the creative uh, process starts with either a trick that you that you know, you want to do, let's say you really like someone else's trick, let's say Chris Kenner's three fly, you know, so what do you like about the trick? What don't you like about the trick? Uh, How can you keep the elements that you like and improve the parts that you don't like? And how can you, you know, use your style to, to improve that? And and that's kind of where I, I come from with my, with my tricks. But another part of my magic is I've got kind of a corny way of presenting them. And it's, it, it happened over time. It's really just me. You know, when I was college, I became enamored with the Marx Brothers and Groucho Marx. And as I did my magic, I, I kind of started to present my magic like Groucho Marx. And my friends would say, you know, uh, I was very studious when I was in school studying and, you know, very, very uh, introverted. But then when I performed magic, I like turned into Groucho Marx. And that's kind of how my my style developed. And I kind of felt, you know, humor gets people engaged in the trick. If you can make somebody mm-hmm. smile, they become invested in your act. So I started to use more and more humor as I performed. And uh, I mean, you can see some of the humor even as far back as my uh, my knockout coin magic series that I that I did back in the 80s. You, you can see, you know, how my my style developed, but you can see the jokes that I used. And and as you, you mentioned, I kind of really like the pun. Uh, in fact, there's a chapter in my book just with 400 extra puns uh, <laughs> the presentations that I, that I give. But Worth buying I just felt, for that. <laughs> I always felt that the, the pun, although it's considered the lowest form of humor, it's it's funny. Puns, people get it. They understand that, you know, some people call them groaners because, you know, people like listen and they go, ooh, you know, let's face it, Mike Myers, when he did his, his series with the uh, 
I can't even remember the name of the, the person he portrayed, the spy. Um, uh, but he would use uh, all these crazy puns and everybody, you know, it just, it's just part of our culture. So the more jokes that I can put in, uh, I think the funnier it is. And, and when I do my magic, I want people to become engaged with either from the jokes or from a story that, that maybe people can identify with. You know, I won't talk about King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. I'll talk about a movie I just saw. Like if you, if you watched uh, my Penn and Teller spot, you may have seen that yeah. I talked about the Twilight Zone. Everybody knows the Twilight mm-hmm. Zone. You know, it's something that engages people and gets them invested. Uh, some of my Magic Castle act is just really just, you know, jokes from me being in New York. I talk about, you know, the craziness of Times Square. And, yeah. uh, you know, people, people get it. So I think that that's that's kind of how my creative process works. I think about the trick. I think about how to make it my own um, a, a plot. Certainly, it's, it's hard to come up with new plots, but there are things that, you know, you kind of work around and and the presentation, I think, really seals the deal. I really like that. Yeah, you just um, you're something interesting about um, uh, narration and, and stories. And this is such a thing we talked a, a little bit about um, with our uh, recent guest um danny goldsmith who i believe you know um mm-hmm. and one of the things we sort of talked about at the time is that so much of coin magic is just kind of um okay this move this move this move let's do <laughs> let's do these seven moves in a row and call it a routine whereas right. i think we've seen a lot of your work you do you work really hard to inject a lot of uh, storytelling and narrative in there so um one thing i've always found strange is that a lot of magicians will study very very hard um material and they'll study a lot of books and, and dvds and downloads they get everything they can get their hands on about the actual craft of, of magic um but not a lot of people are, you're not going to find a lot of magicians reading about you know um the hero's journey or, or how to craft compelling narratives and whereas i i think you're one of the exceptions in that when i see your work i see okay this guy knows how to like piece together a story and so maybe you can just share really briefly i know hopefully it's not too intimidating of a question but how you inject that kind of narrative flow so it's not just a case of move 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 oh well First, you know, you come up with the trick and, and then, you know, you think about how you're going to perform it. Um, because one of the things that, that I realize is magicians really love to see the, the difficult, you know, knuckle busting stuff. But the audience isn't supposed to know that you're doing anything that's knuckle busting. And if you're concentrating on the difficulty of the move, you're not concentrating on, on presenting it to your audience correctly. So, first of all, I felt the things that I do should be practical. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't do hard material, but you know, you have to be very, very comfortable with it so that you're not, you know, fidgeting. So it's got to look smooth. Secondly, um, you know, what, what can you talk about the trick, you know, making the coins go from hand to hand? Well, you know, there's the play by play, you know, I got the coin here and boom, there it goes over there. But, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. you just change it around a little bit. For example, I do something called, uh, Tallahassee jumping coins, for example, and I say, has anybody ever been to Tallahassee, Florida? Great place. Tallahassee, known for fast food, fast women, and women who used to be fast until they ate the fast food, and now they're slow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just kind of make make a presentation that 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 sounds funny. And then you say, of right. course, you know, back in Tallahassee, they're also known for the famous jumping coins. Everybody knows about the Mexican jumping beans. You know, you're talking about the jumping coins. So now you've got like a, a you know, a little, a little gimmick in the trick that, you know, is is – uh, maybe gimmick isn't the right word since we're talking coin magic, but you got a hook and, and, and people all of a sudden, huh, jumping coins. Yeah. I never heard about those. And, and so now you've got a reason to make the coins go from hand to hand. So if you think about the presentation, um, I did a trick, for example, and, and it was part of my magic castle show. It's a two card reverse matrix. 
Uh, so it's a reverse matrix using just two cards and four coins. And you can just do the trick, but you know, how did you make, how do you make it funny? So I, I mentioned, I, like I said, anybody ever been to New York, you know, New York, uh, uh, Times Square is just crazy. Uh, and then you just start go talking about that. And I, and I, have some jokes and then i talk about how then you got the grifters the cheats you know so you're walking up and you see some guy playing uh three card monty then you see another guy playing three card monty hall that's where you could have what's under the the card or what's behind door number two and you know you kind of go from that and then you see and i saw this guy he had a table and he had like four coins and two cards and i said is, is that a you know three coin is that three card monty he goes no 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 this is a different game and so you kind of get involved with that so mm -hmm. Again, just f trying to find a way to make it to present your trick so that it becomes more interesting than just look. I've got a coin; it changes color. It does this; it does that, and then it's gone. Boom, done. Right. Right. It's mm -hmm. it's so interesting. Makes, that makes sense. Uh, how you talk about that? Because uh, even as you say that, without even the performance, I'm picturing myself, you know, in Times Square in that moment. And and it's it's we we talk. Me and Benji talk about this a lot to each other. Um, one thing with copywriting or anything is like people respond best to stories you know that's kind of what we're it's what we're used to it's what we've grown up with you know it's since little being little children we're always hearing stories from our parents you know whether it be bedtime stories or them just telling us stories about their lives and it's interesting how they hook us immediately and, and i love sure. how you you've put that into your magic because i, I think it you know people are just drawn in <laughs> whatever the story is people want to know what the end of the story is you know uh, sure. And now, you know, the magic becomes part of the story, not the story. In other words, it illustrates right. the story. Yeah. And there's something quite beautiful about that, I think. You're listening to Of Slights of Men with Jacob and Benji to get access to an exclusive podcast where they go behind the scenes on Penn and Teller with Dr. Rubenstein. Visit www.thedailymagician.com backslash inner dash circle. That's www.thedailymagician.com backslash inner dash circle. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Yeah, I think it's it's a, bit, a matter of respect for the audience as well. So it doesn't just feel like, you know, you had this routine and then you, you thought, oh, what can I, you know, what, what can I layer on top of this to give it some sort of facade of presentation, which is kind of disrespectful, I think, to an audience. Whereas if they can tell there's real effort going into it and this is actually a meaningful story, maybe it's pulling from some part of your past or whatever, you know, um, I think people can pick up on that and, and it's a pretty important thing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, so I had a question. I, I'm, I'm interested because um, you, you've talked, we, we, we mentioned, you mentioned briefly that you, you were a veterinarian. Um, I'm interested how, you know, that's quite the intensive study. It's quite the <laughs> intensive role as well. It's, and, and it's an important job. How, how were you able to balance, you know, all of this, you know, you, you said you published a book quite early on, you know, you have such a, a reputation in the in the magic world. How were you able to find the time to come up with all these amazing routines and contribute as much as you had had to magic it's while really, balancing out with veterinarian? So. That's a great question. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about my story. So I went to college in Syracuse, New York, and I studied wildlife biology. Uh, I, I really liked wildlife and uh, uh, thought it was interesting, but I really had no idea what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Um, oh. But at, in my senior year, I was asked, um, uh, you know, what I can do. And I said, I don't know. Um, what can I do with this field? And they said, well, you can uh, 
sit in a swamp and count ducks and make 20,000 a year. And I kind of figured, well, that's not really where I see my life. I'm from New York, you know, I don't really want to do that. So yeah. I kind of realized I wasted four years of my life. Uh, and I, although it was interesting, I, I wasn't a profession I could really pursue. So I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And then um, I tried to get into grad school at the very last minute. It was too late for me to, to really apply. And so that didn't mm. work out. And, um I ended up, you know, deciding, uh, well, I, it was a family decision, but my, it was presented to me that I can go to vet school in Italy. So wow. what, what really impressed me was not going to vet school, but was going to Italy. Uh, yeah. so I, 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 I ended up transferring over there for, for, you know, studies and, uh, Italy is a different type of program than the United States. I probably would not have been able to do what I what I did had I not gone overseas. But uh, it's kind of a go at your own pace type program. You have to complete fifty courses, and you have you have a year to to go through your first year of study. But then you don't take all your exams at once, and then go on to the next year. You start after the end of the first year. Uh, taking final exams in every course one by one. It's all oral. You know, you sit in front of a commission of three professors who can ask you anything on any subject uh, uh, wow. in that field. And so it's not, not that easy. Pressure. <laughs> yeah, you have a lot of time to study on your own. And so because it's a go at your own pace program, that gave me time to do other things. Uh, so I actually had time to, to develop a lot of my magic. And plus being in Italy, uh, you know, you're right in the middle of Europe uh, and there are just so many great magicians. I hooked up with the Italian magic organization and I got to meet a lot of the, the magicians, also magicians coming from the States to, to Italy to lecture. Cool. Uh, I remember seeing Michael Amar uh, after he won FISM. He lectured through Italy and we spent some time together in Florence. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I really understood his philosophy of he kind of changed magic from sit down to stand up, walk around. And, and that really right. made an impression on me. And I was able to develop a lot of techniques. And then I had the summers off. So I'd go to New York and every Saturday, the magicians in New York would meet at a little deli in, in Manhattan. And I would go there and all oh, the cool. great magicians were there. There was Harry Lorraine who wanted stuff for Apocalypse, Richard Kaufman who wanted stuff for Richard's Almanac. Then you had guys like Eric DeCamps, Jeff Lada, David Regal, um, uh, Ken Krenzel, Gene Mays, Bob McAllister, uh, David Roth would pop in, uh, Jonathan Townsend. Uh, there are just so many magicians. It was just wonderful. And, and nobody had egos yeah. and people would show each other stuff. So, you know, you get a lot of feedback and we're able to, I was able to develop things from, from those guys. Uh, and then being in Italy, I was, I also had the time to take time off and, and uh, I had won two international competitions while I was in Europe and I met people who invited me to lecture. So I got to lecture in Europe and, and, and do things before I actually was even known in the States. So right. I was able to travel around it. And then I was able to, when I was in Germany, I made the Master Coin Technique video series, which became the Encyclopedia of Coin Slides, which was sold by Videonix at the time uh, and uh, then sent, sent, then transferred to L&L. But uh, they liked my material, so they had me perform the Knockout Coin Magic series. So I had a lot of opportunities just by being in Europe. And, and I, was, I had the time to develop. But one of the things, and this goes back to, I guess, your original question, um, how do you balance the professional life of a veterinarian with uh, the professional life of a magician? And I realized early on, as much as I enjoyed it, it was just a very enjoyable hobby for me, but I didn't think that I'd have the ability once I started working to do it professionally. And in fact, 
when I started working as a veterinarian, I was working 60 hour weeks. I was trying to raise yeah. a family and I actually stopped doing magic for, for uh, quite a number of years. The only thing that kept me in the loop was I was going to dinners at a, a guy named Alan Greenberg's house. People know him from Greenberg Kaufman. Other people know him as the CEO of Bear Stearns. And he would have all the top magicians come to his house three or four times a year just to hang out and talk magic. And that kept me in the loop. And, uh, you know, every once in a while, David Roth would call me and we'd chit chat about magic. Um, so I was able to keep my, my, my fingers in it, although I wasn't doing anything. And then now this is going to be kind of a funny story. Um, I'm ready. I, I ended up getting my first computer around 1990, 91, somewhere around there. And, uh, and I found the place called the Magic Cafe, and I, I thought it was really <laughs> interesting. The coin section, and I see this thing, the 10 top coin magicians in the world. And I looked at it, and not one person on this thread mentioned my name. And look, we all have egos, and I was a, a little burnt that I had done all these things. And even though I was out of magic for some years, uh, I thought that my name would have at least held up a little bit. You know, I put out the Encyclopedia of Coin Slides, the Knockout Coin Magic series, and, and it kind of burnt me. So I said, you know, I, I got to get back into it. I'm sorry, it was, it was probably more like 2000, because uh, I remember going to the SAM uh, Centennial, which is, I guess, 2002, and and uh, I had uh, spent two years re-getting re back into magic, really getting my hands back to the way they were, coming up with new things and embellishing on things that I had done in the past. And I presented a lot of the material, you know, to magicians when I got there. And uh, uh, people were very impressed. And then I got invited to go to a convention uh, for Just Coin Magicians, uh, that took place, I think, in Las Vegas in 2003. Um, and I thought it was a, a great thing. And, and by then I had actually gotten back into to doing a lot of magic. Um, and, and then I uh, talked to two people who were at the at the convention, David Roth and Jeff Lotta, about pre pre making a convention for coin magic here in New York. And that's kind of how the New York Coin Magic Seminar was wow. developed. But uh, in terms of time i had taken that time off i now had gotten back into it i had i had more time i, I felt you know um my practice had been established uh my family was you know getting a little older i was able to start you know doing this seminar and uh and that kept my creative juices flowing um and i was able to go ahead and do lectures and performances while i was on my vacation time from my hospital so it's kind of a whole roundabout way of saying that at first I couldn't handle it. I couldn't do both. But then I, I ended up making the time to use to, to use time off to to per perform and lecture. And that's kind of how I was able to do the seminars and and travel around Europe, you know, in the years uh, after, you know, I got back into magic. Yeah. Wow. That's that's really cool. It's, it's interesting because. Well, now I, I actually spent two years in, in, in France volunteering. Um, and no, now I'm thinking, oh, wow, I could have probably got a lot more done with magic while I was there. But um, <laughs> that it's it's interesting. Did you, I don't yeah, know. If Jacob didn't win any. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't win two international awards, but it's okay. <laughs> um, but I, I was just wondering, um, do you speak Italian? Did you have, like, how was it? Before? I'm guessing you must have, right? If you were taking sure. exams. When I went over there, I could say razoni sono buoni. Uh, so you wouldn't starve. But uh, uh, the, the nice thing about uh, going to school in Italy was I had three months before school started. So when you're immersed in the culture, you learn pretty fast. You know, you're kind of forced to. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And then you go to Italian movies. I remember seeing Saturday Night Fever, you know, in Italian, uh, which is kind of funny. And uh, um, just just watching the American movies, uh, everything yeah. is dubbed into Italian. So you, you kind of get the feeling of, of, you know, the language. And then when you started school, uh, again, remember, you didn't have to take any exams until the end of your first year. So right. um, class and you had your American textbook and then you had your Italian equivalent textbook next to each other. And you looked at both, and then after a while, you didn't need the American textbook, and you know you got more proficient in in talking and and the the scientific language. You know, I mean, some of the words are very different, but you know, some of the words stomach is stomacho. You know, there you go. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, some words are similar, and and it made that a lot easier. And by the end of the first year, you know, you're pretty you're pretty good. So yeah, everything was done in Italian, and uh, you know, to this day, I, I I think I still speak pretty well, though my accent isn't as good as it was. Um, yeah. But uh, I actually, when my, my first book that I that I told you about, I actually translated into Italian, wrote it in Italian, and I wow. actually had it published in, in German and French as well. So it, it actually had some good legs. That's really cool. It came out in, in English. Um, and, and going back to that question that you asked me about uh, balancing um, work and, and magic, mm-hmm. one of the things that I saw was I saw people like, you know, um, David Roth, he had actually uh, been invited to Juilliard to study the clarinet, I believe. And oh, wow. you know, he ended up giving that up to, to do magic full time. Uh, Darwin Ortiz had actually uh, was just about to graduate from law school, and he gave that up to work full time. And I kind of felt, you know, I, I don't want to do magic full time because I think that, you know, I, I really want to be the veterinarian, uh, mm-hmm. but I got to have time to do both. And, and, as, as I said, as you know, the years went on and I felt more established, I was able to, but I never felt that I could do magic as just full time. I felt that there'd be too much pressure. You know, a lot of people, you know, you start coming out with, with things that are inferior if you're pressured to always put out new stuff all the time. You know, cre- the creative process isn't done on a time schedule. Uh, right. it's, it's something that just happens. So you can't be forced to create. And so some of the magicians started coming out with that, that I was watching were coming out with material that wasn't as good as their earlier work because they were just forced to keep coming out with more and more stuff. Uh, of course, not everybody. I mean, somebody like James Sankey, I think he's just a genius. You know, the stuff that he comes out is it's a miracle. Um, and he can just put it out. Uh, I watched Mike Gallo, who, um, you know, a, a great, great magician. He, he just, you, you ask him, you know, you have anything new and he's got like 50 new things, you know, they, people can just churn it out from people. Um, not, not me. To me, it's just a process that happens when it happens. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and as far as you did, did you find that it's something interesting actually that I actually had David Blaine do when he was doing his um, say when he was um, doing his street magic um, performances when that, that was really big. He would say that you know it's cool because magic is able to kind of breach those barriers of language and culture and just create amazement for people. And I definitely found that it was cool when I didn't speak much French, when I initially moved there, performing magic, people get it, you know, and you have that connection <laughs> that you, you can't really have at first when you, cause it's, it's strange when you learn a language because you kind of become half of your personality because you can't quite get everything out yet. Um, right. and so it, it was nice to have that medium of magic because you can express yourself fully without having to, well, I mean, obviously telling stories helps later on, but you can, you can still, you know, 
make a coin vanish and appear in front of a kid and whatever country you're in, they're going to get that that's something cool, you know? And sure. so, what, what did you find with that? Was that something that helped you when you first arrived in Italy? How did you find the language and kind of magic barrier went? <laughs> so I, I remember, and it's not a coin trick, but I, I, I did the, um, and I, I know it has a name, but uh, you show four aces and, and they're, they're all, you know, um, they're all face down and then one by one they turn face up. Mm. Uh, and uh, I did that trick, but I had to practice, you know, I had to look up all the words and, you know, I just remember, you know, you know, here are the four aces, ace of clubs, ace of spades, ace of hearts and ace of diamonds. And I had to learn how to say all of that in Italian and one by one they yeah. turn over. And, and that became my go-to trick just because I, I really practiced the pattern Italian. Um, yeah. and, and so, yeah, as time went on, certainly the, the tricks became much easier to do. And uh, I'll tell you one funny story. So, uh I was taking a surgical, uh, a surgery exam to, to finish my, my year of, of that course. And uh, unfortunately, um, I had a plane ticket booked and they had changed the date of the test. So I had talked to my professor and he allowed me to come in earlier so I could make my flight. So I did the exam. It was done privately. It was an oral exam. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end, I thought I'd be, you know, we, we finished the exam, everything went well. And I said, let me show you this trick. And I did Michael Amar's uh, card on the ceiling trick from Encore 2. Mm. And, uh, and the card was just up on top of the surgery suite. And he looks at it and goes, well, at least you can do that. And he walks out of the room. And that's kind of how I finished my year. Uh, but I did pass the exam. That's so. funny. <laughs> I must have been a new one for him. You get a grade back on your, your magic trick as well. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. Oh, well. Well, uh, we don't want to take too much of your more of your time, but uh, unless we one thing we do like to do, uh, Michael, is we would love to you to plug your stuff. You know, um, if you want people to reach out to you, maybe you know, I don't know, aspiring coin magicians or people that might have questions, is there a place that you would like them to reach out to you? Do you like to reach out to, <laughs> or maybe just tell them like to, to, to read from? the book because all the yeah. answers are in there sure. anyway. <laughs> uh, so, uh, to be honest, since I've been retired. Um, because I, I, I still, even though I'm, I'm much better, um, I still can't practice as a veterinarian anymore um, right. because of the risk of, of infection from animals. Uh, and uh, my immune system still isn't great. But uh, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I certainly have time to reach out to people. If people have questions about the stuff in my book, I always tell people on social media, you know, please, you can send me a message on Facebook. You can uh, right. Uh, I usually hang out on the magic cafe in the coin section. You could certainly, uh, you know, go on my thread about my book, Rubenstein coin magic and ask me a question there. I'm always happy to help. Um, and, and speaking about my book, you know, I hope that, uh, uh, people are interested in it. I, I feel very fortunate when I did the book, I, uh, had the first run of, of printing sell out before the official release date. So wow. I was very That's awesome. about that. it's been reprinted twice more already in, in less than a year. So, I'm, I'm very happy about that. I, I don't think it's going to sell out for a while for a while now, but uh, <laughs> um, uh, it, it's you know there's I'm, I'm very pleased that so many people have taken the plunge and bought the book. For the people that haven't, uh, it's 20 chapters. It's got uh, a, a first section with over 50 original techniques, and then uh, the second part are over 110 uh, original routines. There's a chapter from 20 magicians from all over the world showcasing their their talents and styles. Um, and then for those who, who heard, there's a section on puns, uh, for those who like my corny sense of humor. And I did include my original presentations in a lot of the tricks. I do feel people should make tricks their own, but if people like my presentations, they're there so they can see how, how I, I 
uh, integrate the presentation with the trick. And um, uh, I think it's a book that that for everybody, I think that whether you're a beginner, intermediate or advanced, as long as you can do the basic concealments, this book is for you. There's difficult and challenging material. There's stuff that's not so hard. Uh, but I feel that there's good practical material. I, I made sure that I didn't put in a lot of older uh, handlings because I felt if I came up with a better handling, that should be in there. And I didn't put some tricks in there that I had come up with in the past that I felt were maybe outdated or wouldn't add to the book or maybe wouldn't be something that somebody would, would want to do. And I also didn't put in all of my techniques. I felt like for the Encyclopedia of Coin Slides, where there are over 100 original techniques, I felt you know, let that let some of the techniques in there be be unique to that series. Uh, so I didn't put every single new technique that I came up with in the book, but I put the ones in that I use most often. And I, I think that there's something for everybody. So I hope that people in, enjoy going through it. I hope that they take the time to learn. If they have questions, they could always shoot me an email uh, at my email, which is RubensteinDVM at AOL.com. Uh, they can look for me on the cafe or on Facebook. Uh, I'm around and I'll be glad to answer questions. And my goal is just to have people enjoy themselves with the magic. You know, magic isn't isn't supposed to be a stressful thing. It's supposed to be a relaxing, entertaining thing. And mm -hmm. believe me, in the times that we're going through right now, we need to be relaxed and entertained. We need a lot of magic, yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I certainly agree. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we're going to wrap it up there. For, for anyone that wants to, to reach us as well, um, our website is uh, www www.thedailymagician.com um, we'll, we'd love to see you there if you want more daily content like this we're, we've been absolutely honored to have you on Michael it's been, a, it's been a real pleasure thank you for sharing so many great stories with us and anecdotes um, there's, 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 thanks for having me it was wonderful mm -hmm. yeah and, and, we'll, and, and I must admit go ahead yeah I must admit I'm, I'm feeling a little bit um, embarrassed because I've been sat here the last sort of 15 minutes thinking I, I really should chip in more to the conversation but I'm sat here trying to think <laughs> of some really really good pun I actually can't think of any, <laughs> so uh, that's just um, you. You 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 got me the bug, and I couldn't think of any. But that's just uh, yeah, my two cents. You know, it's 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 funny. I, I just had a friend that uh, I wanted to tell him that he was just overeating, but he had too much on his plate at the time. <laughs> I'll leave you with that. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great way to to end. <laughs> Okay, thank you. My All neighborhood right. is so bad, even my it's so bad, even my coffee was mugged. No, no. Okay, I'll keep going. All right, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm, just, I'm gonna. <laughs>